Support for this podcast comes from Canva. When you look good, you feel good. But when your presentations look great, it can feel like you're walking on a cloud. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. Start with a designer-made template. Use it as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This week's number, 322,000. That's how many hours e-commerce company Shopify is attempting to save by rolling out a calendar on employee calendars that shows how much each meeting costs the company. I have a corner office with a view. I'm a bus driver. Welcome to Prop G Markets. Ed, what's going on today? We've got something new for our listeners this week, Scott. We spend a lot of our time on this show discussing public companies, macro conditions, and other big ticket stories. But we wanted to gain more insight into early stage business and investment. So the team's been working on a pilot of a new concept called First Time Founders. I've spent the last couple of months speaking with entrepreneurs about their businesses and what it's like to found a company. And we've got the first of those interviews ready today with Eli Wax, the founder of Footprint, which helps people and companies store and manage personal data online. We're going to listen to this interview and then we'll come back for your reaction and perhaps you'll give us some advice for the founder. You have started nine businesses after all, so we're hoping to tap into that expertise. Okay. Last year, we wrote a post on No Mercy, No Malice about identity, specifically online identity. Scott pointed out that the internet is one of the few places on earth where you can operate with complete anonymity. There are few social media platforms that require you to verify your identity, and on many platforms you can simply pretend to be someone else. This is largely why bots and hate speech are such an issue online. Now, Scott's thesis was that this is a problem, but also a solvable problem. He believes we could fix the internet by requiring identity verification online. Now, that's a statement many considered controversial, but also one that 80% of the US population supports. Regardless, if an internet company decided they did want to verify their customers, the question is, how would they do it? Well, I'm pleased to say today's guest is Eli Wax, whose company is answering exactly that question. Eli is the founder and CEO of Footprint, a digital identity and security tool that allows companies to onboard and verify their customers with just one click. Eli, thanks for coming on. Ed, thanks for having me. I was... Uh... Word if I got dinner with you enough times, you'd be uh, scared to get to know me. Uh, but, uh, honored and thrilled you uh, you had me on. Absolutely, the dinner the dinner was sealed the deal for me. So let's just start with this. What does Footprint do? Footprint helps companies we say onboard users and offload the cost and risk of storing that data. Mm-hmm. What, what that also means is we're offloading them storing a lot of your personal information. So that's what we do in a nutshell. Uh, for people were the last identity form they ever fill out. Um, as you said, it, it'd be really 
tedious and burdensome of every time you went to create an account, you had to fill along information, fill out your information, mm-hmm. given that presumably it shouldn't change. And, and we feel the same way. And, and that's what we've tried to build over here at Footprint. How did you come up with this idea? What was the inspiration? I, I became really interested in privacy back in 2016, around the 2016 election, Cambridge Analytica scandal. Mm. There was a lot of talk around what should privacy look like uh, uh, online. Yeah. A- and I actually disagreed with a lot of the, the sentiment. You know, and There's a lot around how do we legislate away and, and regulate kind of data. Um, kind of, I think there are a lot of people who wanted the world to look like DuckDuckGo and look, it's a great platform. But to me, that is very powerful. Uh, there's a reason why, why it exists. Uh, and I actually became more upset with maybe what Google didn't do with my data than what they did do with it. Google's probably one of the best predictors in the world of who will get things like Parkinson's. Uh, they know from your recapture test or your finger tremors and your type rate over time. And around that time, I, I, I had a family member get, get sick and luckily caught it early. But I became very obsessed with this idea of figuring out how do we put people in control of their data? And, and that's really what set me on this on this path to footprint. You mentioned DuckDuckGo. I'm not sure everyone knows what that. Can you explain what DuckDuckGo is? Yeah, it's a both a children's song, I believe. Uh, and then for, 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 for this purpose, I'm bad with analogies, so maybe it's not. Uh, I think it's something like Ring Around the Rosie. And then it, it's a it's a search engine which doesn't have any, pretty much, it doesn't collect any data. There, there are no targeted advertisements. Okay, so you talk a lot about this idea of KYC. That's a big mission statement for the company, which stands for Know Your Customer. Can you give us like the general picture on what KYC is and why it matters on the internet? KYC, it, it strangely kind of stems from the Patriot Act in a way. Uh, so it comes from almost a national defense bill, or at least mm-hmm. the definition that we use today of it. KYC stands for Know Your Customer. Essentially, it's this idea where if you are a fintech or if you're a bank, and if you're a fintech, you're probably using a bank. The U.S. wants to make sure that people who have access to banking rails and the ability to move money are, quote-unquote, good actors. They're people who yeah. can be trusted. They're people who aren't going to be using it to launder money. They're not on any sanctions list. And that's how it started. And I think kind of a level down was it was seen as a way to kind of, do we trust the people who, who we're letting to use our platform? Mm-hmm. I think we've seen his in the past maybe 10 to 15 years as there have been companies that have really stepped up the solve KYC. We saw them really just be a checkbox. Yeah. They confirm that the identity entered matches identity in a database. That's not really solving the real issue. Um, whether it's what you spoke about at the intro around, are we trusting the people who are on Twitter are, are, are real people? And it's not really solving the problem of, are we trusting uh, that my Uber driver right. uh, or, or, or is, a, is a trustworthy person? All we've really confirmed is that the information they used to sign up matches information in the database. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what we saw is really wrong. Kind of to me, it's strange that companies that were verifying people also weren't fraud detection companies. Uh, that, that seems disjointed to me. And that's what it's done. And it's led to what we say this world of looking for like bad actors, uh, which is inherent. Like know your customer. It's like a, a, a Sherlock Holmes mystery to find the bad people. Yeah. The problem is that it's never ending. There's an infinite amount of fake identities to be made. Conversely, there's a finite amount of real people. Two of us are talking right now. We know how many people live in New York. We know how many people live in this country. And, and what's going cool on is we're trying to make this closed loop ecosystem so that we know the moment a, a second ed appears, one of you two has to be lying because only one of you can have the identity. Yep. And once you've established that source of truth, then you can do other things without needing to fully reprove that again. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the way that the entire world works, it's like, your identity is crucial for literally everything you do, right? It's like, if you want to 
buy a car, if you want to drive a car, you got to register all of your information and they put it on a card and then you got to show them the card. If you want to get a drink, you have to prove that you're a certain age. If you want to buy a house, if you want to open a bank account, they have to do a credit check. They have to learn about who you are. Why is it that when the internet was built that we decided that we don't care about that so much. Why why isn't that a cru- why is that such a crucial part of the rest of society and then for whatever reason on the internet we don't like to think about identity. We don't want people to have to prove who they are. It's a really good question and I would even extend it a step further. In the real world, uh, you kind of describe more as so the happy scenario where you know you're you're trying to rent a car for the summer or or, or you're trying to buy a drink. There's also this scenario where uh, I steal a car. Uh, and presumably, if I did that, I wouldn't be allowed. It, it'd be tougher for me to, you know, step within a hundred feet of a Ford dealership. But but the internet said there's there, there are really no repercussions. I'd say fraud's close to free. Right. Or fraud's about 50 bucks. That's how much it costs <laughs> to get like a pack of fake identity trading yep. cards on, on the yep. dark web. And, and that's the other thing. I'd like to say that, you know, everybody's very naive and they just didn't think about this and the footprint team came to save the day. I don't mm-hmm. think that's true. I, I think people have thought about this. I think that the technology hasn't really been there to be able to accommodate it. And that, you know, Footprint, we're, we're known for, for bringing one-click KYC, or the ability to verify yourself once, and then going forward, you just use Face ID on your phone. That's only possible, though, if you have secure auth. A- and pretty much the standards we tap into, it's FIDO2, which comes from WebAuthn, with, which out getting too nerdy, is kind of this alliance of Google, Apple, even Microsoft. Uh, and they finally agreed to this common standard it, it, it essentially of q4 of last year so it's not even that long that we've had it mm. what's interesting is the underlying protocol of WebAuthn. google implemented it back in 2008 and at the time google was struggling with phishing attacks and, and since they implemented it they, they had no internal phishing attacks mm. and, and why that's important is that you know when people used to ask me about maybe like why aren't you doing footprint on blockchain yeah to me, it's like well I don't want to accidentally send my identity to the wrong person. And then it doesn't really do me good that I can see who I sent it to in the ether because they, they, they have my identity. I think you actually do need a strong centralized arbiter here. Right. But you need that strong real. And that's kind of what past keys have unlocked for us in the past kind of seven months. And we do that in conjunction with some other things that, that enable us to, to kind of have that fidelity. Because like you said, it's strange that the internet's supposed to be about undoing monotonous tasks that we normally have to do physically. Sure. Uh, but identity seems to be the opposite of that. Uh, like, there are so many things we have to prove our identity for online that we don't even think about in person. Yeah. So, a, a few things. One, you talked about blockchain, and it feels like the whole point of blockchain, or one of the key, the central points of blockchain was to remove the need for KYC, was to remove the need for basically having to trust someone, like you're describing in, in a transaction. Oh, you won't you won't need to trust them because it's verified and it's on the blockchain. Now, we've sort of seen this play out. That didn't really work. There's probably no industry more fraudulent than the crypto industry. But it still raises this question of, it's a shame and it's a pain and it's annoying that when you transact with someone on the internet, you have to somehow trust them. And it's easier when we transact in real life where, you know, 
you're face to face with someone, you look at the store owner, you pay them the cash, or in any other transaction where there's maybe in banking, where you feel like maybe there's some institutional credibility, you believe that the transaction is real. But you're basically saying to customers, at least, you can trust us. So my question would be, why should customers trust you? It's a great question. So when you say customers, it could mean two people. It, it can mean like the businesses that we sell to, and it can be their end customers. I think that second question is one that we will never be able to fully be happy with. And that is something we have to prove every day. Yep. Uh, I, I say the company is built on trust. I publish my very long philosophical investor updates that nobody asked for. <laughs> uh, but I, I say, you know, if, if, if you're going to trust me with your SSN, you deserve to get to know my rambling thoughts of love and life and the shadow self. You likely won't like what you find, but I think you deserve that <laughs> chance. We publish our pricing. We publish pretty in-depth articles about our technology. I, I think it's something that we try to operate with transparency there. And, yeah. you know, even you can log in and you can, it's not going to be that interesting, but you can see which company accessed your data for what reason. We actually find that companies like that more is like a, they know everything they do will be recorded to an audit log and they like that both for accountability and for compliance reasons. But I think that's one. Then, then on the other, for why can companies trust us? You know, I guess going back to what you said to start there, like I feel more comfortable ruffling the crypto feathers now that like I feel like I don't have to be in like a hushed voice talking right, about right. it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I, I, I feel like back end of 2021, it'd be like you'd, you'd have to say like the password to be like, oh, this person also doesn't believe in this. And, uh, <laughs> now, now we can be more, more in public free. about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think like at the end of the day, you had to understand that uh, if you're verifying someone's identity, regardless if you know it or not, uh, Experian, LexisNexis, and the Social Security Administration are probably involved. Yeah. And, and good luck convincing those folks to uh, start going on Ethereum. Yeah. So like from, from the start, like it, it was like th- there wasn't a, a, a change in my opinion. And, and I, I think the second is that you have to rerun the verification each time. So like we even say we don't make KYC portable, we, we make PII portable. I think that's a very key distinction because we really view ourselves as a data operability platform. So why do companies trust us? I think it's twofold. One is that we do things w- which become much more valuable than just a check mark. We work with some companies where they uh, maybe are, are feel like locked into like a payment processor and they'll use footprint. We don't do a KYC. We collect information. We give them a flow. They have more options of where they end up going. I think that like the next step I'd go is, and this may be a fun line for a podcast, but <laughs> I, 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 I say, and I'd like to qualify this by saying this is an anti-NRA line. This is, but I say that to steal a line that the NRA uses improperly, <laughs> I'm about to use in context. <laughs> Businesses and bank accounts don't commit fraud. People commit fraud. Yep. And, and nice. I, this, this is, that's not I a love letter that went up the air. I, I don't like and we need to ban them. But what I think is important is that it's kind of crazy that, you know, if you go and speak to Ramp uh, or Cap Chase about the fraud, it's the vast majority is uh, like fake three person businesses, which means it's somebody who created a fake three person business with with the interest of the product. Right. If you, there are fascinating stories about how hotels and rental car companies, like oftentimes, like do multi month moratoriums of Chime cards uh. because people will just create a Chime account, they'll rent the car with the deposit, and they'll pull the money in advance. ACH fraud is a fascinatingly kind of easy thing to do because there's no repercussion your shine bank account gets shut down guess what we're in the world of fintech you can create 20 more accounts the next day 
What's more about Footprint is we link those accounts back to the identity. We'll be right back. When your work presentations and docs look good, you look good. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. You can start with a designer-made template, then use that as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Or get a huge head start with AI-powered Canva presentations and docs. Just describe what you want with a few words, and Canva will generate amazing slides and text in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever work task you need to get done. Look, we all need to visually communicate at work. Canva makes it easy to get your point across while looking professional. And at the end of it all, that stunning Canva presentation is going to make you look good. Wow any audience and finish your work faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., Who are your clients? Like, what what kind of company wants to use Footprint? Yes, I mean, it, companies that we, we've spoken about today. Uh, you spoke about renting a car. Uh, we work with a company that 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 helps you uh, lease cars. We work with companies that are investment companies. Whether you're looking for real estate, whether you're looking for 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 stocks, all the way through to marketplaces, which you may not even think about. They, they're not even though they're facilitating payments, they're more so verifying people to establish trust of the people inside their marketplace because as you said we're transacting with people and now we're doing things like getting in their car staying in their home and, and you probably want to you know make sure that there was a bit of a check done you're, you're going to be in for a surprise if you end up in my apartment you, know, you would have, you, you're going to be sad that i wasn't vetted uh and that's not just because of the construction going on above uh and what's interesting is we we scale up and scale down and and that is a very light sentence. But yep. Let me let me maybe add, add something to it. Let's go up footprint is your your footprint grows. So if you sign up for a footprint to say, hey, get a credit card, you probably entered your like name, your date of birth, your address, your social security number. Cool. Let's say you then go to rent a car. You're going to need to spend a driver's license. When you go to do that, we're going to bypass collecting name, date of birth, address, social. We're going to go right to driver's license. Mm-hmm. And you're going to spend that. Then let's say you're going to trade stocks. You need to answer. Uh, like your income, your risk appetite, you're going to answer just those questions. You don't have to answer any of those things ever again. Now, let's say you then go and create just something on a marketplace where they actually don't really care about the other things. They just need access to your name, your email, your date of birth. We can do that. You'll only grant access to those three things. But it's with that fidelity badge that Footprints verified the rest. So that marketplace, that social media company, they don't need to know that. They don't have access to it. But we've already linked that to a real person. And let's go about footprint is our technology. We we know how many identities are on your device. Mm-hmm. So if you try to sign up for a second with a second identity, that's a flag to mm-hmm. us. Uh, and, and that's how we think about it. And how do you make money doing that? Who's paying you? So companies pay us. If you're onboarding someone, you need to do KYC. So we get paid each time you verify someone. 
And then we get paid for storing the data. Okay. We're a security company. We offload that storage. We, we, we like to think that eventually we're moving KYC from like part of your customer acquisition to a very small tax of the LTV of the consumer net. We boost conversion a lot, both with trust, by removing friction, by increasing security. And where in the business trajectory would you say you are right now? Like, how many employees do you have? How much do you think this thing can grow? Where do you hope to land in the next few years or so? We're a 15-person company today. We're about 16 months old. We've now been live for about four and a half months. We're growing pretty quickly. Double-digit customers, revenue's ramping up a good amount. We now have, like, our line of sight to are like first like million plus portable identities. And to me, that's always been a extremely arbitrary number uh-huh. I picked is like, let's see if we can get here. I think next is the goal of, you know, to me, if we're having this chat in, you know, double the company history, let's say we're, uh, you know, in another 18 months, uh, like I want to have line of sight to 10 million portable identities, another arbitrary number. I'm plotting <laughs> out of the sky. <laughs> there we go. Um, to, 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 to me, I, I've said, you know, Obviously, a lot of the appeal to footprint is this network effect. Yep. And I think people said from the beginning, how do you think about a cold start problem? And my honest answer has been, I, I, I don't go to bed agonizing about a cold start problem. I, I go to bed thinking about, you know, how do we build the best onboarding experience? And how do we build the best security for, for, for data operability? Yep. And, and, that, and that's what our goal is. We want to be like a type firm for onboarding. And we want to be like a segment for your data. And, and, and do both of those best in class. Yeah. And, and and if we can do that, that's when I get very excited about, you know, being an identity layer to the internet for both businesses, what it means for them to be able to really trust the people they're letting in, be an onboarding platform for all of fintechs and connect, collect all of that in just five lines of code. Uh-huh. And then for, for people, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of long-term stuff that I get really excited about from kind of putting people in control of their identity. I think in, in, in the short term, we, we think footprint kind of at scale becomes like this built-in lifelock as a service and that we know when somebody is trying to take your identity. I, I jokingly call it the duel. I've said that, you know, we'll, we'll send everybody a jousting uniform and I'll get to prove that I'm the real Eli. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, you know, there, there's billions of identity theft a year. It, it often happens to the elderly. It often happens to more vulnerable. That number should start going down. Like I really view it as a, as a big failure. There are all of these big companies in the space that have been operating for 10 years and their revenue may be going up, but identity theft is also going up. Yeah, exactly. And to me, I, I don't really, I don't know another industry where their cardinal metric keeps going up and they view what they're doing as successful. Right. And, and I say that I think it's an incentive issue. I think that KYC companies are, are fraud detection, not fraud prevention companies. Because when they detect fraud, they sell you more products to find more yep. fraud. Yep. Footprint, by contrast, because we're doing the security too, we're, 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 we're a data operability platform. We're an onboarding right. platform. We, we play with different incentives. And I think that's important because at the end of the day, we're serving people. And like, it's also to me by building that trust and by being open and transparent, this becomes a much more solvable numbers game. Like by the time we've done 300 million verifications, we should know who's who, not in a big state way, but just in a like, who should be allowed to open accounts way. Uh, there's so many companies in our space that have done far more verifications that but they don't know that because in a way they're not even incentivized to yeah one thing that it makes me think about is i mean earlier you were mentioning the idea of face id on our phones and there's this big sentiment among people right now which is oh don't don't give your data over to big tech platforms you don't you can't trust them but then at the same time 
we are literally using our biometric identity to open up our iPhones every day. <laughs> and now we're putting our credit card information into our phones and we're uploading our wallet information. We're using our phones as basically a tool to do everything. And the only reason that we can do that is because we have decided to trust Apple with our identity, which is a long way of saying, do you fear that Apple could eat your lunch here, basically? That they're just going to double down on storing everyone's data? And if so, how do you overcome that? If Apple decides they want to do this and really invest, tough day for us at the office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest about that. Yeah. Apple are the most brilliant privacy copywriters in the world. Yeah. And I mean that complimentary and begrudgingly. <laughs> I, I wrote my whole senior thesis in history about like the history of Apple and private data. Oh, wow. And I think what you said is really interesting, which is that if you were to walk up to someone on the street and say, who has more of your data, Facebook or Apple? And they like the common thought is like Facebook. They're the ones who like did the election stuff. <laughs> Facebook has nothing. They, they, know that, they know that I clicked on like one rogue ad. Yep, exactly. Apple has my health data. They have my payment. Uh, they have credit cards, but we trust them. And, and it's because they've really invested in that. I mean, Apple, they just used the privacy's iPhone commercial as their legal offense against Epic. And it worked. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it worked. <laughs> yeah. the Apple, Apple claimed that they need to charge people a 30% cut. Because that's privacy, that's iPhone. It, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Totally. Now, what I'll say is, I, 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 in the spirit of transparency, I wrote a whole investor update called uh, About Apple last fall. And, and it's my whole argument laying out why they totally could do it, but also why I don't think they, they will. And I think there are a couple reasons. I think one is that Apple is many things. It is currently not an enterprise security company. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what the other part of this is. Uh, you know, it's not just the account creation. It's then, does Apple want to proxy data on behalf of a credit card company uh, to Fiserv? They may be okay with that. Uh, is it, does Apple want to uh, proxy information on behalf of a broker deal to IRS at the end of the year? It's stuff that they haven't done yet. More so, I think that Apple is really smart about having the option to go into a space and purposely not doing it so they can do the bigger space. 100%. I think Apple cares a lot more about uh, like, Apple banking uh, and, and like owning that than, than owning like the onboarding ramp to it. Yeah. Uh, like it's similar to like, I think Apple cares more about like selling Apple devices to enterprises and owning mobile device management so they can claim that they don't own everything that they touch. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think then the other thing to keep in mind is Android still has pretty decent market share and globally Android has far more market share. Yeah. So if you're a company, then even if Apple really goes into this, you're going to need then a vendor for the non-iOS people. Yeah. And, and that's something that, you know, just will need to be solved anyway. And, and I think that's why Apple doesn't present the full solution. I think that they're going to become an increasingly important part of it that we're excited for. I think what Apple's doing with mobile driver's licenses is fantastic. Uh, it, it's going to be a huge milestone for the company. It's why, like, we from the beginning ha have really looked forward to and built What's cool about App Clips is we can go in and fetch them. Yeah. So I think Apple is going to make the identity industry a lot better. If they decide to crush us, <laughs> that will not be a fun day in the office. Yeah. But I think there are reasons that uh, they're not going to. Because the other thing is, Apple, as masters of PR, they don't want to onboard the wrong person mm -hmm. uh, or they don't want to block the right person. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, it, it's, uh, it, it gets into just 
waters that I think they prefer to stay out of. Yeah, exactly. It also feels like, you know, the incentives from the from the consumer perspective are, do you want to give your data to the company that's trying to sell phones? Or do you want to give your data to the company who has a financial incentive to protect your data? And it's sort of like you've found the right incentives there. At least I, from a consumer perspective, would would rather be giving my data who's to, to a company whose incentives are aligned. But company aside, I want to move on to just you as a person and as a founder. And that's sort of what this podcast is ultimately getting at, which is what is it like to be a founder? And I want people who are considering becoming a founder to sort of understand what what type of journey they're embarking on. So let's start with, you mentioned that you uh, came up with the business plan in college, and then two years later, you actually started the business. Why did you decide that you wanted to start a company in the first place? I did not always think I was going to start a company. I tell a very clean narrative of how I started a comp- read a book in ninth grade, and then I cold emailed the author, and I started a company, and then I went to Stanford, and I started a company there. And uh, the dots are really clean in hindsight. They were not clean in real time. It's <laughs> a great way to put it. <laughs> and, and I think it's why, you know, when, when I speak to people and they say, I really want to start a company, uh, I'm not sure if that's the, the right mindset in that it's tough. And like, I think that's good. I don't say that as a pity thing. I do believe in life that we mostly are what we want and like we choose what we want. And uh, I, I said it more so as like, if you're just doing it because it, it seems fun, like I, I I think you're in for a bit of a surprise. Like I will be when Apple releases my identity. <laughs> um, I, I think that I was just interested in the space and, and kind of, I remember back my junior year of school, like I, I got very interested in GDPR and like I signed up for like a very nerdy like law class about yeah. it. Could you just elab- you just explain what GDPR is for the listeners? Yeah, this isn't making me seem fun. <laughs> uh, but yeah, GDPR, it, it was passed in 2016 and it's Europe's uh, like data privacy yeah. laws essentially. Exactly. And it was, if, if you're mad about cookie consent banners or if you're happy about them, uh, <laughs> shout out GDPR. What's interesting is like GDPR is semi- uh, I think it did some things right. I think it did a lot of things wrong. I then was working in VC and I saw all of these, like what I found like very checkboxy GDPR compliance companies that kind of bothered me and that like their goal is to make money by locking away data. And then, like they weren't solving anything too. Like I, I didn't think that uh, like if you want to lock away data, like what I like, I, I started selling a, a, a string called Tech Fights Dobbs after the Dobbs decision in the US. And it was huh. to like m- help women like who like want, want to sign up for like female health apps not have to like give away their data. Like if you want to lock away that data, great. Yeah. But if you want to lock away like an SSN in a fintech app, like that's hurting everybody. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's maybe answer two. And answer three is I have no idea what else I would be doing. Uh, <laughs> and maybe that goes back to answer one, but I spent a lot of time with myself, with my friends, with my therapist, trying to discuss why why kind of I decided to put I, I don't know what else I'd be doing. Uh, it does, I, I like the challenges it presents, and I never would have guessed half the stuff going into it. Stay with us. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. 
because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What does success look like to you? This is something I've been talking to people about. And in a lot of my conversations with founders, first success to them is the idea of raising institutional VC money. And, you know, you did that. You raised $6 million in a seed round from Box Group and Operator Partners and all these other investors. And then suddenly the success goal changes. And and one founder I spoke to recently said, success is an IPO, <laughs> just flat out. What would make you happy? What do you consider to be success at Footprint? It's a great question. I'll first default to the answer I said earlier, which is like, if we if Footprint's successful, identity theft should go down. Right. Uh, like I said, it's like, to me, like this is, uh, if you start a company that try to work on climate change, you're like the North Star metric should be like temperatures rise less. Yeah. Now, now, what's interesting <laughs> is uh, there can be like financial company success before before it's done. Yeah. So, like, I want to start at the end like that, and like personally, like my goal with Footprint is like to do things that we've spoken about. Uh, I'd love if like Footprint through the data we have somehow can can try to democratize things like uh, detecting disease or, or it can help women operate more safely despite new new, new, new rulings. Yeah. Those are things that I'm very passionate about. I think personal success and company success. I try to be very vulnerable about like, uh, like founder mental health or, or, or things like that. And, and I won't lie. It, it's, it's a tough paradox. I, I have a good friend who I was speaking about recently about the idea of how much of your self-worth is tied into the success of the company. And, and my honest answer is a good amount. Yeah, I do think it's just the thing you spend so much time on that a lot of your worth is tied to it. Yep. I think you also, I care really deeply about everyone who works here, who, who took a chance to, to work on us and like footprint, failing whatever that means is no longer failing me it's, fa- it's failing to people who, who who took a took a vote a vote of confidence in in, in me and, and what we we're doing here so going back to like what success means it's a great question and i have no answer to it i i tell people that you know there's one day where i'll be happy enough and 
they, they come to a big enough that like I'll I'll take time off and like I'll walk away and like I, I could do and everybody thinks I'm lying yeah. based on everything else I'd say. And that may be true. I think that it is something that we keep changing the line of. It's something I kind of accept that I think I, I was ta- catching up with a good friend of mine and I said I think entrepreneurs are some of the most self-confident people in the world <laughs> and the ones with the least amount of self-love because <laughs> we do the crazy thing we said we were going to do uh-huh. and then we tell ourselves that we haven't done anything and we need to go do the next thing. Yeah. And I think if this is the talk about founders and starting a company, that's, that is, I think, where you end up. And, and I don't say that in glorifying it. But I say that just being honest about how I often think about things. Yeah. You said you worked in VC for a couple of years before you started the company. How was that transition of being, I mean, my understanding is you worked at General Atlantic, large investment firm. You know, I assume you were sort of low in the pecking order and just reporting to a lot of other people. And at least when you're an employee at that level, you don't have that much responsibility for other people. How was the transition of suddenly being responsible for multiple people, now 15 human beings and their paychecks? Yeah, it, it's it's real. I'd be lying if I said I was great at it. <laughs> one thing I credit is that I, didn't, I, I had one real boss at, at, at GA uh, his name is Alex Christie's, and I, I, I really love him dearly. He, we still text a lot. And he really taught me a lot about like people management mm-hmm. and how he treated me. Because yep. you're right, I, I could not have been lower on the packing. <laughs> uh, I, I, tell, I tell a nice story in pitches. I went to GI, I helped lead a lot of our work around security, privacy, identity. Now, let me say, <laughs> that that's obviously laughable. It's also kind of true because Alex would hire people and then he would trust them. Yep. And it was, to me, it's the only experience I knew. Where like Alex hired me and he's like, you're, you're, you're really passionate and possibly smart about these things. Why don't you go do it and tell me what you think is interesting. And that's one thing that we brought here, which is uh, bring, bring on people and, and be like, uh, Pedro, you're, you're the best designer I've ever seen. You, you design the homepage as you think, and then we'll talk about it. Yep. And that's one thing that I don't, uh, it's feedback we always get in the positive column, which is like, you, you give us a lot of autonomy. Part of that's me not being smart enough to know how have an opinion and other things. Yep. That is one thing. Alex would do even smaller things where he would send people texts on Fridays, thanking them for, for the work they did that week. And it's something I try to do and uh, customize. Yeah. And it, it's it's small things, I think, go a long way of just noticing that we're all humans. It, it's I don't think that there is a, a Bible of, of management principles. I mean, there probably are. And, and you know, <laughs> I'll read them. <laughs> but I, 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 I do think Someday. that a lot, <laughs> Someday, yeah. I, I do think a lot of it, though, is just treating people with respect and treating them as humans. The other thing I'll say is footprint up until July 9th, I'll be like the only uh, non-engineer at the company. Mm. Uh, and, and that means that my governor, Alex, a lot of the management really falls on him. Yeah. Uh, and, and like I, I, I say management for me maybe is, you know, speeches at, at Monday and Friday, like company all hands, we call them all feet. Uh, and, and kind of, you know, catching up with people i think it's like a good note though if, if you're planning a starting company like i think that and this is biased because i'm just projecting forward my own experience <laughs> but i think kind of a like a non-technical founder like it you're you will have more time to grow yeah. into that versus i i i think it's much tougher kind of for like a, a uh, like the cto my, my co-founder alex like he had started the company he then like was pretty senior at, at another company like he had managed people before and he does a really good job of it and i'm very i i benefit tremendously from yeah. it and we gotta wrap up so i'll just end on this what would your advice be to someone who 
is thinking about starting a company, is about to, but isn't sure of themselves? I'm not going to tell you to start it, though. Um, (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I mean, I I, I would say, if it's just, I'm going to start this, and I'm going to recruit a co-founder, and we're going to figure out an idea, and we're going to raise money, okay. It's just, there's a lot more things that you have to do. That doesn't mean, I I think I'm in the minority. I think there's a lot of people who encourage, who say, like, lean startup, like, just go and start and pivot. Yeah. I'm not going to accuse some of being nefarious. But I do think there's a different financial incentive to getting like a lot of smart people to start companies and like one will, one will work out. Like, point. I think I know more stories of people being told to start companies and leaving jobs where they were happy and they were doing a great job. And then company not going well, company they left being worse off for them leaving, investor being worse off because that was money that they wrote. I think there's a period where like you would just be like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And you'd walk around like South Park and SF with like a, like, you know, like a docu sign for like a, a seed round and like you'd get signed like two years ago. Like, I think it's good that it's tougher now. Yeah. That said, like, if you want to do it, like you should totally go for it. Like if you've high conviction, if you've been spending a lot of time in a space, um, if you didn't just like go on GPT two weeks ago and decide to build an AI company, like <laughs> I support you. And like, that's great. And like, um, get ready for a ride of a lifetime. Yeah. And like, I truly mean it. Like, I think it's a, it's an incredibly rewarding and and experience, but I think if it's I'm on the fence, there may be reasons for that, and like that doesn't mean you won't get there. But there's no rush. What I would say is like I, I feel like there's often like presented as like this rush of like to start something, and an investor a prospective employer, like you don't want indecision. At, at the same time, you have your most time before you've started it. Sure, somebody could build the idea, but like everything looks competitive until you build the thing. Only more questions will be raised. So if you think at the beginning, there are like three open questions. Please answer all three uh, because that list is only going to grow. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's end it there. Eli is co-founder and CEO of Footprint, joining us from New York. Thank you, Eli. Thanks for having me, Ed. Scott, what do you think? Uh, I think this is a tough one. I, I think it's an obvious point. I, I There are a lot of companies in security. The... The only, and I would need more time with the company, but my sense is they're going to need to raise a lot of capital and try and sign up and create such a, not only not charge the consumer, but maybe give them some sort of financial or, or, you know, compensation to get, to acquire as many consumers as possible and then basically buy business on the enterprise side. I mean, they're creating a marketplace for security, right? And the only way this marketplace works is if they have enough liquidity of people who sign up for it and enough companies using it such that there's value to the consumer because, oh, I go to Hertz and I can just use my footprint to expedite the checkout process until there's enough places to accept it. I mean, Apple Pay didn't work for a bunch of years, but they spent so much money to get acceptance. They basically, my guess is kind of bribed the the enterprise and said, we'll take the lowest fees or whatever on it. He's going to have to raise a shit ton of capital. And if he gets to critical mass, my guess is one of the bigger players might buy him such that they don't have to ask consumers to do this twice. The other thing, this all just screams to me healthcare. And I know there's more regulation there, but it just, just pulse marketing or sample size of one. Every time I walk into a doctor's office, other than having a strange man, you know, I don't know, stick a glove finger up my ass, which I actually like. I actually like. But other than that, the thing I hate the most is them handing me a fucking clipboard and say, fill out this paperwork you've filled out 300 times. And I mean, I don't even feel, I I just lie. I've even started like, 
I'll even put down, I've had seven heart attacks in the last 24 hours just to see if they read it. <laughs> and <laughs> that's good. That's good. Or like, uh, any, anything else we should know? I'm on meth. I'm on meth. Uh, that's right. That's not funny. That's not funny. That's a, that's a very serious topic. Ed. Um, but look, it, the idea, at some point you'd think you'd be able to walk up and say, look here, approve biometric here, yes, and they scan your eyes. You know, it's doing a great job. It's TSA. I, I'm totally blown away. Again, I love big government. Global entry, I, I don't even put in my passport and they yell Galloway and because they've used some sort of facial recognition, they bomb me out. So why can't they have that same sort of facial recognition in the doctor's office where they go, okay, this is, come on in. We know, we know you, we have your medical records. Anyway, the, the pain point here is obvious. It strikes me that healthcare is the place you could have the most value. And it seems to me like this is a capital play. They've got to raise just a shit ton of capital to create liquidity, to basically buy the business for a few years and create liquidity on the consumer end and on the enterprise end. And the price is big here if they can get enough people signed up such that Apple, Amazon, or Cigna or uh, some hospital network decides they have to get into the space. They basically just acquire this company for the consumer set and they might pay a big fee for it. But And also, I just want to add, the reason I'm not a venture capitalist is I hate everything. <laughs> I hate everything. Yeah. Every business that's pitched to me, I just like, I'm like, that'll never work. So take it with a grain of salt. Don't you also think that this is kind of exactly the thing that you have been advocating for on the internet? Like, you know, this, when we talked about Twitter, verification on social media, like, this is exactly it. And you mentioned the idea of you love big government. Well, most of America doesn't love big government. And the question is, which entity are the American people going to be down to give over their sensitive personal information to? Do you think that they would rather give it to the government? Do you think they'd rather give it to Apple or a big tech company? Or do you think they'd rather give it to a security company, which is what this company is? Consumers talk a big game about privacy. The CDC knows your HIV status. Google knows everything. Google knows everything about you. The, the, we've decided that Google it can be trusted to the extent that, I mean, literally, if, imagine this hack. Your name, your picture above every Google search chronologically. Imagine that data being released. Everything. Totally fine. You're fine with that. <laughs> well, <No>. I, <laughs> I, the thing is, if everyone was released at the same time, it wouldn't be a problem because everyone has their freak flag. But the discussion around privacy is just such a false flag because consumers every day, especially younger consumers, spend so much time forking over everything about them. The question is, are you making the requisite investments to secure that privacy? With Meta, you know they're not. With Twitter, you know they're not. I would argue big tech, government number one, I do think people do trust the government mostly around technology and privacy. And they mostly, if you look at their behavior, they mostly trust big tech. So. I don't know if in where the rubber meets the road, if people are screaming out for a different privacy solution from a small company they've never heard of. And what happens when that company doesn't raise their C round and goes out of business and they have to sell the data? Who do they sell the data to? So, Do you have any advice for Eli? Raise a shit ton of capital. Um, that's probably not that helpful. Go raise a shit ton of capital. <laughs> yeah. That's not that oh, great. actionable. <laughs> I would say go go really niche. Find an area where privacy, where the pain is really large for consumers or the company spends too much time. For example, in the rental car business, that seems to me really interesting because I've been molesting the earth for the last 30 years, basically renting my brain to rich white guys. That's what I've been doing. That's how I've made a living. The CEO and the CMO in the 90s and the aughts, I was running strategy firms and consulting firms. 
And the CEO and the CMO was always a white guy in his 50s and 60s. And they would, the, the, one of the many fucked up things about being in the services industry is when you're the servicer, you get to fly to wherever they live. And so when the CMOs of Samsung and Audi would say, and this happened to me in the same week, we'd love to speak to you, I would have to be in Ingolstadt and Seoul in the same 48 hour period. So I've been traveling a shit ton. I always rent cars, or I used to always rent cars. And one of the big innovations was Hertz had this gold thing where you get you see your name. Remember, I don't know if you've done this at Hertz, you see your name on a board and it says Galloway F3, and you go to the parking spot F3 and the keys in the car. And I end up with some like white rabbit that f infuriates me that looks like something out of the worst mood, like the lamest guy in the world. And I have to go back to the counter and say, do you know who I am? I'm a baller looking for a random sexual encounter. Give me something a little cooler here. Give me like a convertible Cordoba with rich Corinthian leather. So <laughs> it's, that was good. Now, you're too young for that. You're too, Fernando Lamas, rich Corinthian leather. It's right over my head. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> so ridiculous. Anyways, another big innovation. I cannot for the life of me figure out why I ever need to check into a hotel room. Why do I need to check in? I'm going to LA with my boys. I'm going to stay at my favorite hotel, the Beverly Hills Hotel. Why do I need to check in? Why don't they send me a QR code on my phone saying, here's the room you're in. I'll get an adjoining room for my boys. Here's the QR code. Here's the room number. Knock yourself out. Call us if you need anything. And because they did away with the checkout, now you just leave. You don't check out. Or at least I don't. It's like they have my credit card. They'll figure out a way to charge me for the three ginger ales I had at 3 a.m. thinking that would help with my hangover. So I think there's a ton of innovation waiting to happen with shared information or what have you. Uh, long way I said going niche. I don't know if it's rental car companies, the specific crowds out there general. I'd find a very a specific industry and try and own this type of application in one very narrow part of the economy and then grow out from there. This episode was produced by Claire Miller and engineered by Benjamin Spencer. Our executive producers are Jason Stavers and Catherine Dillon. Mia Silverio is our research lead and Drew Burrows is our technical director. Thank you for listening to Prop G Markets from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Join us on Wednesday for office hours and we'll be back with a fresh take on markets every Monday. Thanks to Canva for their support. You're busy, there's no denying that, and we all wish for just a little more time in the day. So why not let Canva help you get your work done faster and more efficiently? You can get started with their AI-powered presentations. Just describe what you want with a few words and Canva will generate amazing slides in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever task you need to get done. Finish your deck faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work.